Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome. If you've been listening long enough, you'll know the number of welcomes typically indicate how many panelists I have today. So welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. I am Bonnie D. Graham, and let's see what the buzz is today. Okay, we're looking at a quote from Confucius. 551 B.C. to 479 B.C. They did it. Big numbers to small numbers back in B.C. He was a Chinese teacher, editor, politician, and philosopher of the spring and autumn period of Chinese history. And he is credited with authoring or editing most of the Chinese classic texts, including all of the five classics. And you hear Confucius say or says all the time, here's an interesting quote. Choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. Let's just let that settle in. I'm one of those lucky people. Hosting and producing Game Changers Radio for SAP is my dream job. Yes, it's work, but I don't think of it that way. So let's talk about what really makes people be engaged in their jobs. What does it really boil down to? Let's look at the facts. Few things. I'm talking to all of you who employ somebody in a business, in an organization. Few things impact your employees' productivity, which you count on, their engagement, which you need, and their well-being, which keeps them coming back to work, as how you compensate them. Ooh, that ugly word money is coming into it. Maybe it's not all about money, though. As the definitions of work and the workforce change, and yes, they're changing every single day, we're talking about diversity and inclusion. We're talking about telecommuting. We're talking about contingent labor. We're talking about the gig economy. We're talking about contractors, temporary seasonal workforce. It's complicated. Well, if you look at all of these changes and then you look at perhaps your company has a pay per performance formula that you've been using forever, this could put you in a bad position in terms of being able to engage top talent right now and in the future. Yes, the workforce is changing. Their values are changing. How are you compensating them? That's our question today. The topic officially is getting serious about getting paid. Your company's compensation. I have an incredible panel today. We have a packed house. Yes, there are four. Let me tell you who they are before we hear from them, and then we'll get started. First up, she is, uh, well, she's returning to Game Changers. It's been quite a while, my colleague at SAP. She's actually at SAP Success Factors, Dr. Gabby Berlaku, and she leads solution management for the user experience and mobile applications of SAP Success Factors Technology. Happy to have Gabby back. Joining her is the next three are newcomers, Lauren Pytel, MA. She is a research scientist in human capital management research, also working for SAP Success Factors. And rounding out the panel, two graduate students from Baylor University. If you've been following Game Changers Radio for a couple of years, you'll know we had a panel of Baylor University. Let's see, we had professors, we had graduate students a couple of years ago in a three-part miniseries. But today we're welcoming John P. Weldon, Master of Business Administration, that's MBA and Master of Science in Information Systems candidate at Baylor, and his colleague in the graduate school, Chris C. 
Seifert, MBA student at the Baylor University, Hankamer. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, School of Business. So full house, and let's get started. Dr. Gabby Berlaku. Gabby, I can keep saying doctor as long as you want me to because I respect advanced education. Gabby has sent us a wonderful quote from Jeff Bezos, or Bezos, however you pronounce it. He's a young kid. He was born in 1964. Jeffrey Preston Bezos, American technology entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, best known as the founder, chairman, and chief chief executive of, yes, of, here we are, um, I'm looking for, he has blue, yes, give me a second here, Amazon, I'm looking for the year, he founded Amazon in late 1994 when he was on a cross-country road trip from New York City to Seattle, he also has founded Blue Origin, which is an aerospace company, he's done a lot, he's estimated net worth at $130.8 billion, and he is connected to become, contended to become the wealthiest person in contemporary history, here's the quote, I think the definition of a book is changing. You think? Dr. Gabby, welcome. How are you today? Thanks so much. I'm great. How are you doing, Bonnie? Thank you for asking. So happy to have you back. You and I talked about this topic a couple months ago, and I told you we haven't really done anything on compensation. I don't think ever, each, even on our HR-themed series. And Gabby, you said, yep, I can bring you one of those. So talk to me. What does this quote mean from Jeff Bezos in regard to our topic today? Well, now is absolutely the time to be talking about compensation, Bonnie. So to me, this quote really illustrates how everything around us is changing, even the things that we think are most foundational, like a book, um, companies, the people that work for us, the way that we work. And yet, as we're going to hear today, a lot about the way that we reward and compensate people hasn't really evolved over time to fit the way that businesses are changing. And so what we're going to talk about today is really a lot of ways that we are learning that companies are addressing this and a lot of ways that they're not addressing this, but they need to start thinking about it as everything around us changes. Gabby, it's so interesting to have this conversation because on, on many of our shows today, we talk about millennials, that M word that keeps creeping in. And I'm always intrigued that millennials, the leading edge or the cutting edge of that demographic cohort and now in their mid-30s seems hard to believe we can't keep up with all the titles of all the groups in the demographics but Gabby we talk about them wanting to work for companies with purpose another big word today purpose we actually have a series called Game Changers with purpose on a sub-series of our future of the future with Game Changers radio we talk about how people want to work for companies that have sustainability in their DNA are they helping the planet are they helping people so, Gabby, let's just cut right to the chase here before I introduce the other panelists. Is it enough to work for a company that aligns with your values or with your aspirations to do something for the world? People still want to be paid. Gabby, let's let's cut right down to the, the bottom line here. True or false? Uh, well, based on the research that I've seen and the experiences I've had, uh, people want to be paid. And it's funny, we used to talk about the millennials as coming in the future, they are here. They make up an <laughs> overwhelming proportion of the workforce. And while mission and values are really important, the truth is it's really older generations that tend to be a little bit more intrinsically motivated. And even they are here to get paid. So I think one thing that companies can really take away and business leaders can take away is that, yes, other non-monetary things are very important. But let's not kid ourselves at the heart of the matter. People are working to make money. So how can we ensure we're paying them effectively to get their best work? 
Thank you. That's where I wanted to drill down to appreciate it, Gabby, and welcome back. And now let's welcome your colleague, a newcomer to Game Changers. She is Lauren Pytel, research scientist. We'll ask her in a little bit what that means. And Lauren has sent us a quote from Alessandro Volta. Let me give the full name here. Alessandro Giuseppe Antonio Anastasio Volta. Wow, that's a long name. 1745 to 1827, an Italian physicist chemist, a pioneer of electricity and power, and credited as the inventor of the electrical battery and the discoverer of methane. That's very, very interesting. Here's the quote. You must be ready to give up even the most attractive ideas when experiment shows them to be wrong. Ah, very interesting. Lauren Pytel, how are you today? Hi, Bonnie. I'm fine. Thanks so much for having us this morning. Oh, we're delighted. Talk to me about this quote, Volta. I'm thinking of voltage. I probably am on on the right track here, the right wire. (laughs) So how does this quote relate to compensation? Is it an experiment that needs to be moved aside? What's going on? Talk to me. Well, I love this quote, and I think it's it's really relevant to certainly our topic of conversation today, but really to even life in general. As an experimental psychologist myself, you know, one of the things that I study are decision-making biases, and these include things like the confirmation bias, sunk cost bias, escalation of commitment bias. These are psychological phenomenon that really reflect humans' kind of tendency and desire to continue to invest, you know, whether it's our time or money, our resources, whatever, whatever it is, they continue to kind of act the same way that we've always been acting, to do the same things we've always been doing, even when there starts to become evidence that what we're doing is no longer working. Um, But it's really easier for us um, psychologically, physically, financially, administratively, um, to do what we've always done and just assume and kind of hope that it's working. It's a lot more difficult to kind of maintain this level of, you know, self-awareness and conscientiousness and to constantly evaluate how well something's working and when it's not working to accept that and start over. Um, You know, when it comes to organizations and business decisions, particularly in the realm of compensation, it's critical to have that kind of objective lens and be able to say, look, you know, what we've been doing is no longer working. So mm-hmm. rather than ignore it and sweep it under the rug, let's be proactive. Um, you know, let's make that probably temporarily painful, but ultimately valuable change that we need to make. But it became pretty evident in our conversations that we've had with companies um, during our research that this is a lot easier said than it is done. Um, Many companies are continuing to kind of hold on to certain compensation processes and philosophies um, that simply because things have changed, just like Gabby said, you know, the nature of work, what that work looks like, who's doing it, Mm -hmm. are changing you know, many of these things no longer really work well to effectively motivate and reward our workforce, but it's easier to keep it the same that it is to go ahead and change. Thank you, Lauren. Quick question for you. How do we know when that experiment or that practice is not working? Is it when there's a mass exodus from your workforce? Is it when people <laughs> say to their their managers, uh, whoever is, is handing out the bonus or not, whoever is saying, well, we're only giving you a 0.24 raise next year because that's the way it worked out for us in the company. We hope you'll stick around. H- how do they know that it's not working? What's that bottom line there? 
Well, I think it would be nice and would be very convenient if there was kind of a clear red sign that a large majority <laughs> of your workforce are heading out the door. Yes, that would obviously point to a problem, but it's often not that obvious. Um, so I think being very aware of what's going on in your kind of industry, what are other companies doing, what are the leading organizations doing, and what aren't they doing, and then really listening to your workforce. Um, a lot of what we heard is that, you know, employees are vocal about these things and are looking for the information. Um, So I think if an organization is willing to listen um, and kind of has a culture that encourages employees to speak up about what's on their mind, what's bothering them, what do they wish was more transparent, et cetera, et cetera, that's one way to really get a good idea about what's going on, what's working and what isn't. Thank you very much. Nice reality check there. Appreciate it, Lauren. And now let's turn to one of our two special, very special guests, graduate students at Baylor University. I think I have a Baylor mug somewhere, John P. Weldon, that they sent me last time they were on, and some and some Baylor coffee, if I remember. John Weldon, MBA and MS in Information Systems Candidate at Baylor. And John has sent us a quote from Aristotle Onassis. Now, people in my generation, John, remember very well Aristotle Onassis is nickname was Ari, and he lived from 1906 to 1975. He was a Greek shipping magnate who amassed the world's largest privately owned shipping fleet and was one of the richest and most famous men in the world. And not because only of his wealth, he married the daughter of Stavros Levanos, the Greek shipping tycoon, keeping it in the family, if you will. Uh, He had an affair with the famous opera singer Maria Callas way before your time, John. And in 1968, he married Jacqueline Kennedy, who became Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, the widow of American president, fallen president John F. Kennedy. So quite a story with Ari Onassis. Here's the quote. This is a surprising quote you picked, John. After a certain point, money is meaningless. The game is what counts. John Weldon, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Uh, Doing very well, thank you. How about yourself today? Uh, well, thank you for asking. You're very kind. So tell me about this quote. How in the world did you, a very young graduate student, find a quote from Arionassis? That's where I want to start this question. So I previously worked in the maritime industry. So I worked for a number of different companies, Houston Shipping Company, Liberty Maritime Corporation, Military Seal of Command, and with National Shipping of America, uh, so through Crowley Maritime Corporation. And so through being in shipping and working on vessels and also studying maritime administration and international shipping and trade, I was familiar with uh, Aristotle Onassis since he came to own the largest private shipping fleet in the world. Mm, interesting. So you're, you're part of that industry. So tell me about this quote. I'm very intrigued because we talk when we think of Ari Onassis, we think of his great wealth and, and how he was such an innovator in his time and he just getting bigger and bigger as a businessman. And here the quote says, after a certain point, money is meaningless, the game is what counts. How does that relate to our workforce today and in the future, John? So that relates to our workforce today because what we found was that different things motivate different people. So money motivates some people, but that's that's a unique position. So it's interesting because as people make more, money motivates them less is what we found in our research and so, ultimately, as people made more money, they came to value time more because they wanted to spend more time with family. Because you'd ask them, "Well, if you could make more make more money, would you put more time in?" And a lot, a number of people were already putting in so much time 
that to them, the time with their family was more valuable than the money they were making. And so another, another common, common theme, too, is that often, you know, at that point, you have to think a lot about the amount you're making. So ultimately, with say that Aristotle and Nassau's point is the game is what counts. So ultimately, the challenge of the job itself and are you enjoying the job with the amount of time you're putting into the job? enjoying that challenge. So I guess you could say that game is how, how uh, Ari put it. And so being willing to put in that much time, say, at, at your work and what it's worth to you. And so another interesting point with, with money and with the amount people made um, that relates to that nowadays in the current workforce is that if you look at people and the amount they make, someone at a lower level versus a higher level of compensation, is that a lot of companies will do a percentage-based increase in compensation. And when you're making a smaller amount of money, then that's a very small small amount to you versus someone who's making, say, 200000 a year. It's going to be a larger percentage increase. And so when you look at cost of living, it's, it's interesting to look at that. And so we found differences, and depending on what level of compensation people were making, um, how that affect them and motivated them and then what they actually wanted out of their work. Thank you. Very interesting insights. And, and John, something that has come up over the years in my various positions in marketing and in broadcasting was the question of, oh, somebody's getting a message, was the question of recognition on the job. Were you mentioned? Were you included? Were you a, a, a sidebar, a subtext, a note on a presentation? Were you thanked by a manager? Is recognition still something that appears in your research? Yes, it is. So recognition heavily appeared throughout our research. And so mm-hmm. a number of people I talked to, ones at all levels of compensation brought up recognition. So individuals that we interviewed ultimately mentioned that a lot of the companies, if they couldn't afford, say, to pay more compensation for salary or bonuses, then a heavy I guess, indicator and motivator for them was being verbally recognized for their work. So having their employer thank them for their work or their manager, thank them for what they did for them, even for favors. And so that was no matter what what level people are at. So individuals making, say, a couple of individuals I interviewed that were making, say, higher salaries, they, they really liked the recognition from people, even below them for thanking them if they helped them out. But other individuals I interviewed who were just starting out, they they heavily appreciated being verbally recognized, and a couple of people I interviewed directly told me that they're looking at new jobs because they aren't getting paid as much as they would like. However, it's hard for them to leave their current job because of the team they have and how great their team is and how mm. their team recognizes them heavily for the contributions they make to their company. And so I had a couple of individuals tell me that directly. And so verbal recognition is, is huge to people uh, currently Thank within businesses. You. Thank you very much, because I know it has mattered to me in many ways. When when I worked for, let's see, was it uh, Chase? It used to be called Chase Manhattan Bank and Global Cash Management. I was a marketing director doing a lot of global work, and we used to have a recognition. They had a coffee cart, they called it, that came around with donuts or croissants or whatever it was once a month and they would have a little ceremony on the on the floor in the department and they would give an award to people who did XYZ the best that month and give you a little paperweight in the green marbly chase logo whatever the logo was that week we changed the logo but every month the colors and everything very interesting branding uh, merry-go-round there and it was just fascinating and I received one of those once and it was a real real nice thing 
to reward and recognize employees among your peers. So I want to bring that up. Thank you very much for fielding that question, John. And now let's welcome your colleague, Chris Seifert, also an MBA student at Baylor. And Chris has sent us a quote from another titan of industry, Andrew Carnegie. I'm so intrigued. The two of you were so young and you found such great quotes. Andrew Carnegie, 1835 to 1919, Scottish-American industrialist, business magnate, there's that word again, M-A-G-N-A-T-E, and philanthropist. He led the expansion of the American steel industry in the late 19th century and is often identified as, here we go again, one of the richest people and richest Americans. He gave away, listen to this, Chris, Carnegie gave away $350 million to charities, foundations, and universities, almost 90% of his fortune. And he wrote an article in 1889 proclaiming the gospel of wealth, calling on the rich to use their wealth to improve society. And he stimulated a wave of philanthropy. And we see that today with some of the wealthiest 1% giving away a large piece of their fortune for philanthropy as well. Chris Seifert has selected the following quote from Andrew Carnegie. People who are unable to motivate themselves must be content with mediocrity. Chris, welcome. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm delighted. Nice to meet you. So talk to me about this quote. How did you find a quote from Andrew Carnegie? That's my first question. You know, I uh, I really like this credit. I, I've always been a big fan of Andrew Carnegie, kind of all the reasons you just mentioned. Um, you know, kind of really uh, living the American dream kind of came from nothing. Uh, you know, he was an immigrant coming to America, came from nothing, and, you know, built, uh, educated himself, which led to, you know, in the end why he kind of gave away all his money. But, you know, educated himself, built the biggest steel company, you know, sold his company and was at that point the richest man in the world and decided, you know what, I'm done and I'm I'm going to give away all my money and, and basically led to what you just talked about, it kind of led the uh, the way for people today, Bill Gates, other ones who are mm-hmm. you know, giving away all of their money. Um, so I, I've always been a, a fan of him and I, I like this quote, it's particularly appropriate for someone like me, uh, definitely students who are kind of in this uh, change in their life and looking for where they're going to go next and, and really need to be able to, I mean, as it says, motivate themselves or, or be content with mediocrity. No one's going to push us um, to do better other than ourselves, but we really have to be able to, to motivate ourselves. Um, and I, I like this quote. I think it works well with what we're talking about here in that we, you know, no one's going to, going to find uh, – there's information we'll, we'll obviously get to talking about sort of processes regarding compensation and, and really it kind of comes down to you as an individual need to kind of make this choice to be, to be more involved in the process, to find out more information. And that's really only going to help you. If you're, if you're not willing to kind of do this extra work and learn about how your company pays people, you're probably not going to be paid as much as others. And I think it also works on a company level and that companies need to, in this case, you know, motivate themselves or really be a leader um, in enacting change in their compensation processes, or or they will fall into mediocrity um, as a as a company. Thank you, Chris. Very interesting. I have a compliment for Chris and John and, and Gabby and Lauren. I think you'll join me in this. You two young men are so articulate and, and bringing such good ideas to the table, and I really appreciate that. We do have students on our Game Changer shows from time to time, and I'm very happy to meet both of you. So thank you very much for joining us. And now let's circle around the table to Dr. Gabby. Gabby, I'm just going to call you Dr. Gabby, if that's okay with you. I and love Dr. It. 
<laughs> okay, I love it too. We do that on my personal show, Read My Lips Radio, when I have psychologists who've written self-help books, and I'll call them, you know, Dr. Bobby or Dr. Mary Jane or whatever. Well, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, uh, just very interesting. So, Dr. Gabby, two questions. You know what they are. Number one, where are you calling from today? And number two, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now that makes you smile and powers you? Or what would you rather be drinking? What's your favorite beverage? Gabby? So, Bonnie, I'm calling today from rainy Portland, Oregon, Um, and my drink is not very interesting. I am drinking black coffee, no sugar, no nothing. I am on that pre-wedding diet, and I bring that up just to illustrate how FCP Radio has seen me through basically all my major life events now, Um, this one included, speaking of things that are economically... (laughs) (laughs) Ridiculous. Um, What I'd like to be drinking is some good wine, which I plan to do after work today. Well, Gabby, what would well? Congratulations on your upcoming nuptials. When is the big date? That'll be in June. So, okay, where? No sugar, no carbs till then. The discipline is wonderful. I appreciate that. And uh, yes, and uh, yes, so I want to wish you a happy everything. Very, very. And I'm so honored that you said Game Changers Radio has seen you through your major life events. It's the first time anybody has said that. So we appreciate it. Now, come on, tell us, what will that wine be you'll have later today? Any uh, level label for us? Well, I think it's going to have to be some rosé from here in the Oregon uh, Willamette Valley region. We've got some great wines, so that's my one cheat <laughs> leading up till June, and um, it's much needed. I appreciate that. But you, I think you may remember, I lived in Eugene, Oregon for about 10 that's years. Right. Remember I told Yeah, yeah. Well, came back to New York in 84 and just moved to Durham, North Carolina eight months ago. So I'm not quite officially a Tar Heel, but I'm, I'm down here. I'm going to stay for a couple of years. So there you go. Thank you very much, Gabby. Congratulations again. And now let's welcome Lauren Pytel. Lauren, love to know where you are today and what powers you up in your cup. Lauren? I am calling from Chicago, which we are finally seeing some slightly less depressing weather. We're starting to get some sun. It's about 40 degrees here. Um, Currently, I am on my second cup of coffee, but unlike Gabby, I have all the good stuff. I've got cream. I've got sugar. Um, I I was never a coffee fan, honestly, until graduate school literally slapped me in the face and it became a necessity of life. Um, So now I'm on like three cups a day. But later on, hopefully it will be a little bit more exciting. Um, Like I said, I live in Chicago. My husband and I um, are lucky enough to live here because it's an amazing place uh, for foodies like us. We love to try new food, restaurants, bars. Um, And Wednesday is our night that we go out. We try to branch out. We're kind of both creatures of habit. Um, but we try to branch out on Wednesday and try a new restaurant or bar every week. Um, so tonight we're going to this place called Estereo. And it's supposed to have this very kind of sunny, vibrant Latin vibe, I guess. Um, and I'm a huge tequila and mezcal fan. So I'm hoping that I can find some sort of maybe spicy, maybe smoky margarita, something along those lines. So coffee for now, but hopefully it'll be more fun later on. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was interesting. Well, I'm I'm glad you're going to someplace very interesting. Thank you for the uh, the sub menu of what you're going to do, and I'm glad you and your husband have date night. That is very very important. Thank okay. you very much, Lauren. And now let's go to our graduate students, John P. Weldon. John, where are you today? And what do you love to drink that makes you so smart? I'm going to come right out and say it. <laughs> so I'm currently in Waco, Texas, uh, Baylor University. 
And uh, what I currently have in my cup is a La Colombe triple draft latte. So I often uh, have a lot of uh, cappuccinos or these uh, early on in the day to keep myself powering through the day to do my work. Uh, I got into coffee a lot when I actually uh, worked on ships. So you drink tons while you're working on the bridge. Uh, but similarly, l- later today, I hopefully will be uh, switching over to my, my favorite drink, which is a burnt cinnamon old-fashioned. So I uh, go to a local place called Dichotomy Coffee and Spirits, and uh, I often will get one of those to be able to wind down for the day and then to get the work done I need get, to get done in the evening. Burnt cinnamon old-fashioned. I'm looking here. Uh, is this the old-fashioned ingredient smoke and cinnamon old-fashioned? Is that the same one? Uh, so actually, this is this is a special concoction. So I uh, go there, and I, I'm friends with I found the it. Uh, bar manager, and so yep. off of their off of their menu, he he makes me a uh, special, I guess, burnt cinnamon old fashioned, and he'll actually take the uh, cinnamon itself and light it on fire, and actually burn the cinnamon, and then stick the cinnamon in and mix the old fashioned with the burnt cinnamon, so to allow the flavor to go into it. Yes, I found it. I found it here on bonappetit.com. The bitterness of the caramelized sugar tempers the sweetness in this twist on an old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. This recipe goes back to October 2014. Burnt sugar syrup, third of a cup of sugar. You assemble six ounces of Kentucky bourbon with uh, Fee Brothers old-fashioned aromatic bitters or other aromatic bitters and four orange coins or twists. Is that about sound about right? That sounds about right, yeah. Okay, in a rocks glass, add a large cube and stir. Rub the rim of the glass with orange coin before garnishing. Ooh, that sounds good. Thank you very much. Here we are at 1131 East Coast time talking about old fashions. Well, why not? And Chris Seifert, I didn't forget you. Chris, where are you today and what do you love to drink? Yeah, I am also calling you from Waco, Texas. Uh, we're, we're seeing a little bit of rain this morning also. Uh, probably on the other side of a wall from John. So we are in separate rooms, but he's uh, he's right next door to me. I can confirm he does have several coffee drinks um, every morning. I myself am not a coffee drinker, uh, so I am drinking uh, a Waco creation. I'm drinking a Dr. Pepper today. Um, and it's uh, 10, 10.30 now, 10 o'clock, so it's Dr. Pepper time here. All right. Thank you very much. And I know that's what's making you smart. Gabby and Lauren and John and Chris, you know what? It's 32 after. We have so much to talk about. We've already done a deep dive in the topic. I'm going to skip the break. I get to make that executive decision. And I've already notified Aaron, uh, our engineer, we're not going to take the break, Gabby. I think we just want to power on because this is such an interesting and such an important, always timely topic. If you're just tuning in, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're talking about getting serious about getting paid, your company's compensation. Are you doing it right? Are you paying attention? The workforce is changing. The definition of work is changing. What will motivate, engage your employees and keep them healthy and give them a sense of well-being and make them want to stay and be productive? That's a lot to ask. So, Dr. Gabby Berlaku, Gabby, I'm looking at your notes here and um, let's see. Let's see where we want to go. Let's talk about the philosophy. Would you like to go with that? The evolving nature of compensation philosophy. What exactly are we paying for? Gabby, you good with that? Sure, absolutely. 
Okay, so let me just read a little note here. Uh, Traditionally, a person's pay is administered in exchange for their work. This is historical contract-based. And let's talk about team-based rewards, paying for potential, paying for retention, and paying for a job well done, which could be a spot, on-the-spot immediate bonus. Talk about some of these new ways that compensation is stretching and growing. Gabby? So one of the things I want to touch on first to ground us all in what we're really talking about here is how compensation and rewards tend to be a company's biggest expense. And it really varies from Mm -hmm. company to company and industry to industry, company size, how much of their cost is really going directly to the people. But it's generally accepted that it's a company's biggest expense. And yet not a lot is done to really kind of review the ROI of that expense and ensure that that money is being spent effectively. Um, When it comes to some of the newer ways of thinking about compensation, as you said, it's really historically a transaction. You work and I pay you. And a lot of that philosophy came from the manufacturing industry, right? You work and produce a certain number of units and I give you a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's emerging is that we simply don't really work that way anymore. Um, and so a lot of companies are starting to think differently about how they pay. There are ideas around paying for potential and what a person will bring to a company in the future rather than what they have brought in the past. There are um, ideas around team-based rewards, so things like bonuses and structures that really um, – reward team performance. And so it no longer becomes about the individual, but how effectively they work together. Um, There are, um, you know, increasing incidences of spot bonuses. So one of the things that we talked about a couple of years ago when I came on SAP radio was the rise of more continuous performance evaluation processes um, in recognition that we don't really work once annually. So why do we get evaluated once annually? It really should be more of an ongoing process. Spot awards and spot bonuses sort of align with that, this idea that it's more ongoing in terms of really rewarding behavior as it's happening. All that being said, Bonnie, there are a lot of new philosophies and ways of thinking about it. In our research, we found companies pretty hesitant to take on some of these new ways of thinking or their ways of thinking, but they don't really translate into new ways of paying and rewarding people. And I think that because of the sort of high stakes nature of compensation, um, and, and you had asked Lauren, you know, how do you know compensation isn't mm-hmm. working? And she's completely right that often it's really subtle, um, but sometimes you get sued <laughs> and then it's not so subtle. So because of the really high stakes nature of compensation, we find that companies are really hesitant to start experimenting in that area with new and different ways of doing things. Very interesting, and thank you for grounding us on that. Yes, uh, Gabby, when we were preparing for this show, I asked you if there was a hard and fast percent of how much of a company's typical budget is spent on compensation, and you reminded me that it varies widely depending on industry, on the company, are they a startup, are they a mature company, probably on part in parts of the world it varies as well. I know I found some statistics that it could be 10 or 20 percent, some it's 30, 40, 50 percent, so that's why we didn't come up with a hard number for that. Lauren Pytel, love to get your thoughts on what Gabby just shared. Agree, disagree? Yeah, absolutely. I think the other component here is that, you know, with all of these changes, I think what, what, what I maybe found most surprising in um, our research and our speaking with compensation professionals and managers, et cetera, is that it's kind of surprising how 
little thought about the downstream consequences of these changes being put into place is really having on other components of, you know, a talent process, performance management processes, et cetera. Um, you know, I think an area we saw this definitely come into play was the shift for many companies towards a greater use of, like Gabby said, with the more continuous um, performance management processes, there has been a shift towards more continuous and ongoing rewards, so spot awards. Um, and this shift, you know, in a lot of ways makes sense. Spot awards can be really, really effective way to motivate employees. Um, and with the shift, there was kind of a, another complementary shift in the type of responsibility that managers now have in the decision-making process, because managers, in most part, are the ones making decisions about who deserves spot awards, why, etc. And the problem that we saw um, is that because things like spot awards or other bonuses tend to be in comparison to other costs, relatively small, they're often deemed by companies to be kind of unnecessary to monitor. Um, You know, when we asked, okay, well, how do you monitor their distribution to make sure, you know, managers are equitably distributing these things, making sure the same employees aren't being rewarded over and over again, et cetera. You know, a lot of what we heard was, well, we, we trust our managers to be doing the right thing. And again, I think this kind of gets back to my original quote, that in concept is really a great idea, but we know that that's not always the case. There's tons of research out there that shows that managers, like anyone else, can make biased decisions. And like you said, Bonnie, when it comes to compensation, unfair decisions is hugely problematic. It's a major contributor to demotivating and frustrating your employees. Um, So I think it gets back to this idea of really thinking through, companies need to think through these kind of downstream consequences. When these changes are happening, how are we going to appropriately deal with it with other changes in our process? Thank you, Lauren. Great insights. Let's hear from John Weldon now. John, you're a graduate student, but you've also worked in an interesting industry. So talk to me. What about these new styles of compensation? Have you experienced any? You want to comment on whether they work or not? Yes, so I'll actually, I'll comment from the uh, interviews that we conducted, and so I have to agree completely with what, what they mentioned, which is uh, that many employees I found from our research were mostly motivated by monetary awards, however, you know, if they couldn't be, say, granted for the monetary awards, a lot of them, the verbal recognition and learning opportunities heavily also motivated them, and so they wanted to be recognized for the work at least to continue to be motivated moving forward. And they wanted opportunities to gain experience for future roles or future jobs, maybe even outside the company. And depending on the company they worked for, I found that what they wanted to change. So for some companies, so for some individuals that we interviewed, they knew the company didn't have the money to necessarily, necessarily do bonuses but they appreciated, mm-hmm. say, having lunch provided or certain smaller recognitions of thanking them for their work and their service to the company. And then for individuals that I interviewed from larger corporations, I found they heavily appreciated the bonuses. So, And actually, to, to talk more on the point about bonuses and monitoring of bonuses, uh, one particular individual I interviewed from a, from a larger uh, Fortune company, when talking to them, they mentioned that within their company, actually anyone within the company was free to give uh, bonuses to each other. So they... Kind of, kind of like high fives of basically appreciation if someone mm-hmm. helps someone else for a role. Because generally they're smaller, it's the $25 to $50, and there was a separate pool of funds for that. And they would, they would, they didn't monitor it heavily, but he'd say what would happen is that, say, as such as him as a manager, 
they would watch it and they would make sure that it wasn't being done thriftlessly. So if someone received a bonus, making sure that they deserve the bonus. And so they did have managers overlook that, but it was fairly free for them to be able to do that. And it heavily motivated them to continue to not only do their job well, but to help out other individuals within the company. Thank you, John. You brought up something I have experienced. Gabby at, at SAP, I got a, a peer recognition award about two years ago from a colleague, and it was quite a thrill. It was very, very nice, that idea that people can reward each other within the workplace. I, I want to make sure we get Chris Seifert's comments right now. Chris, we're talking about different styles of pay. What do you think? Yeah, I uh, I, I don't want to say I absolutely agree, and, and to be honest, you're kind of stealing a little bit of some of my predictions here, but I, I do like this change in philosophy. Um, I think what we've really traditionally seen is that people have been paid based on past experience, um, you know, especially if you, you know, move to a new company, you're starting a new job, you're, you're paid based on what you've done before at other places, and, and I would really like to see that kind of change to you're going to be paid for, you know, your, your abilities, what your current performance is, or, you know, what we're really expecting it to be rather than what it's been in the past. So I, I do like this, this idea of changing uh, philosophy. It's definitely a motivator. Let me pose a question to the whole panel. Let's go around first with Gabby and then Lauren and then John and Chris. Um, Question is, very often you have employees who just want to do the job. They didn't come to work to do an awful lot of extra stuff. They don't want to take design thinking. They don't want to be the ones to plan the next five to ten years of the company. You give them a job. They want to do it. They do it well. They come to work. They go home. They don't think about the job. They're not the movers and shakers. They're not the future leaders. What about them in terms of, Gabby, these spot rewards? What if they're not doing anything that deserves one of those or peer recognition? They're just doing the job. You hired them to do X, Y, Z. They come to work. They're pleasant, they look okay, they talk to people, they get the job done, and they go home and they come back the next day and do it again. So how do you reward those people who may not be the stars? Gabby, let's go around the table and ask everybody thoughts, please. Well, that's really tough because this is a core part of your workforce that you don't want to disengage or lose. They put in performance. They're maybe Mm -hmm. not stellar, but everyone can't be in first place, right? And so one of the things to consider with SPA awards is exactly as Lauren was saying, there's plenty of research that shows potential bias in how these decisions are made. So I think the concern is that some of that kind of performance would end up getting rewarded by a manager who may be sees an employee as similar to him or herself or just plain likes an employee or just plain feels that he or she hasn't rewarded that employee in a while, so they're going to get a spot bonus, maybe not for reasons of performance, but for reasons that have nothing really to do with that. Um, I, I think that's very possible and then sends a message to the stellar performers about what's important and what's tolerated and what's okay. So it's really, really complex because in, in something else I'd love to touch on, um, in a world of increasing transparency where we can all see these things and we can kind of gauge what's the average salary and who's getting more rewards and recognition in the actual workplace, um, we're sending messages all across the board. So there is no easy answer. I think those people do end up rewarded sometimes, and that can have downstream consequences as well. Thank you, Gabby. Very thoughtful answer. Lauren, thoughts on this, please? Mm-hmm. It's, that's a really difficult question. Um, I think really the critical thing is, particularly with something like spot awards, is it's absolutely critical that, you know, companies, managers have 
kind of consistent, well-defined criteria against which they make decisions about spot awards. Because when we don't have that is when we run into problems where managers are, you know, more likely to be biased because they're kind of just pulling from their gut. Oh, I think this person deserves X amount because they did X action. Well, what happens when, you know, the other person on your team does the same action and doesn't get that reward? So having really well-defined criteria that, just like Gabby said, is then transparent um, to other employees is going to help because people are going to know what behaviors are worthy of spot awards. If you are not doing those behaviors, then it makes sense that you would not be receiving the spot awards. And if, on the flip side, you as an employee see someone that's receiving an award that isn't demonstrating those behaviors, then you can go back and say, you know, there is clearly an issue here, and you can bring it up with justification behind it um, for having concern. But without having that really kind of defined criteria, it becomes a lot more abstract, a lot more gray area, and that's where I think we see problems. Interesting. Thank you. John Weldon, thoughts, please? Yes. So to expand on the spot award topic uh, first with that subject, I'd have to say that people we interviewed and what we found was that performance-based uh, pay, so when it came to performance-based bonuses, they heavily motivated individuals to put in more work. However, they were concerned uh, because of lack of transparency that it's possible that some individuals could get the performance-based bonus who didn't necessarily deserve the performance-based bonus. And so one through a number of people that I interviewed, they mentioned that within their company there was a lack of transparency on how they reach each performance level. And so what they heavily wanted to see was more clear criteria for how do you get this performance-based bonus versus how do you get that performance-based bonus. So that way they would know exactly what they needed to meet to be able to get the bonuses. And so in situations like this, too, it would help because having more clear criteria and transparency mm-hmm. would allow them to be able to see if people truly deserve the performance-based bonus as well or if they didn't get it, why they didn't get it. And so, in this case, that, that would help with those, that type of situation. However, on the other topic that you brought up, which is the company wanting to retain that employee, because they are coming in and doing their job, however, they're not necessarily interested in putting in the extra work to get the performance bonus, as you mentioned. You could look at other forms of compensation, because that individual, maybe they're temporarily, or they maybe they're looking for a career, so you start looking at, say, a theory-wide type strategy. So you start looking at maybe non-monetary forms of compensation with that individual Mm -hmm. to keep him around. But for the individuals willing to do the extra work and to make sure that they're treated fairly for the extra work they're willing to be put in, then looking at making sure there's clear criteria outlined that people can access easily and is communicated to them on an ongoing conversation to be able to know that what they need to do to get those bonuses and then why they got them. Thank you, Chris Seifert. Love to squeeze in your comments. We're almost up to our predictions round. Gabby, I think we're going to have to bring the panel back in a couple months. I've got an opening in July or August for part two. What do you think, Gabby? Because we, we barely scratched the surface. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we got to get you back. Uh, Chris Seifert, love to get your thoughts on this about the everyday people who show up and they're engaged, but, you know, they're not going to win any, any banners, any prizes. What do you think? How do you reward them? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, I want to point out John and I are, are two members of an eight-person team who, who have researched this. We've conducted interviews with employees and managers mm-hmm. about this topic. And it, you know, we definitely talk to people who, who fit this role, you know, that they're, they're doing their job. They're really just kind of grinding it out. Um, I think it goes a lot towards, kind of towards my quote, you know, you have to be able to motivate yourself 
to to really achieve more. So if you're not willing to do that, you you know be content with mediocrity. I think these are your mediocre employees that are certainly getting the job done, uh, mm-hmm. and they do need to be rewarded in some way. I think John really hit it, um, you know, got it right. Is that if you have this process that's laid out, that's clear and understandable to everybody to receive, you know, some award, you need to do work that is above and beyond. I think these employees are are aware that they're not doing above and beyond work and they don't want to do above and beyond work. Um, So they should know that they're not going to receive these extra monetary spot awards or something like that, but they can Mm -hmm. still be rewarded um, with, with recognition. You know, you can hand them an attaboy and say, great job doing, you know, really doing your work. You, you always do your work, get it done on time, you know, in the way that exactly what we're expecting. You can still give them that recognition, that praise for doing their job. And that's, and that's honestly for some employees, some people we are talking to, more valuable than, you know, a couple dollars, $50 here. They'd rather get some recognition. So even if it's not money that you, you know, you can't pay this person more, you don't think that they earn it, you can still compensate them in ways that are, you know, free to you and really meaningful to them. Interesting. I, I While you're all talking, I researched an article here on Inc. Magazine. It's a little bit old, but they have 25 employee reward ideas that are not cash. And one is uh, dinner with the boss. One is give them the best parking spot for a week. One is hire a personal assistant for them. Well, that in- involves money. Give them a budget to update their office. I don't know who has offices that are updatable. You know, put some nice stuff in their office, maybe posters. A free lunch with the team. Tickets to a sporting event or a festival a wine tasting or brewery tour, give them access to their favorite band, give them an extreme adventure day, a spa day, just raise of hands, and I know I can't see your hands. Yes or no, is anybody thinks these would be be valuable or would work? Uh, Gabby, yes or no, any of these uh, on your your list of yes or a, not so much? What do you think, real fast? I say yes, but I kind of still consider those things money. They all cost the company money from a budgetary standpoint. Yes. That is still a reward. Okay, and Lauren, I agree with them. I didn't even read the best ones. Lauren, any, any comments real fast? Yeah, completely agree with Gabby. Because these are still at some level a monetary reward, whether it's, right. they cost know, it's not somebody a something. cash award, it comes back yep. to ensuring that they're being distributed equitably. You know, the same people can't be yep. taken out to lunch and be given tickets to the game That's or whatever true. every single time or there's going to be problems. So maybe you say you can only win the award once every quarter, something like that. John, quickly, agree or disagree? I uh, agree completely. So, again, though there are still forms of monetary awards. However, I did have one person specifically tell me they'd appreciate just basketball tickets to games, and they've simply used those, what you mentioned, as good rewards. Thank you. Chris Seifert. Chris, any thoughts yeah, on that real fast? I, I, I agree that they they certainly can be useful. Some of them do still cost money. I, I think it's okay if you keep giving these rewards to the same person if you have this process that says we're hmm. going to reward the best person or whoever. You know, if you have some way that is clear fair to everyone fair. and understands how you're going to earn that reward, the best person keeps winning it, then, you know, they're the best person. That's it. Well, I, I wanted to share with the, the four of you something real fast, and then we're going to do 60 seconds each for predictions. Um, I worked for a company, a software developer on Long Island, New York, many years ago, and they came up with the idea of getting Friday afternoon off once a month if you got into the office before 7.30 a.m. three consecutive weeks in a row. 
So we were all trying to beat traffic to get in. If you know traffic in Roosevelt Field, Long Island, you know that's not easy. Getting there for me on Meadowbrook Parkway and getting through the office park and getting parked and getting upstairs to the office. There were days when I just wasn't even breathing while I was driving, but I did get the perk once in a while. So if you came into the office, I think you had to clock in. I don't know if we had time cards or whatever, but you had to prove you were in the office before 7.30 for two or three weeks, and then the fourth Friday, you got to leave at 12 noon and go do whatever you want. So that was a half a, half a day off, if you will. And it was it was a lot of fun. It was very interesting, but it was a question of beating the clock. And it didn't matter how many of us did it. They always had a couple managers who stuck around. I'm going to leave that there on the table. Gabby Berlacco, we'd love to have you give your prediction. I'm going to cut you back to 45 seconds because I talk too much at the end here. So, Gabby, what do you predict will change? Uh, I could say between now and July when we're probably all coming back to talk about this. But let's talk about 2020. Will we see major changes in compensation policies across the board, yes or no, and give me a a quick prediction. Gabby, go. Uh, So I'm going to have to go with maybe, and here's why. One of the things we learned in our interviews with the compensation professionals is that um, while in a perfect world, they would have met with people responsible for talent to create an end-to-end strategy around how they pay, typically compensation was handed a new process. So we're going to go to more continuous performance management, help support us in how we compensate our people. And that's why things like manager-driven spot awards have come about. It's sort of like, okay, here's something we think that will go with that. I think that's going to keep happening until something happens. We talked about inequitable distribution of these kinds of rewards, how it can really add up. I predict that we'll see some backlash, possibly even some lawsuits, changing the way we think about even these little rewards um, that do add up over time. Thank you very much. 30 seconds, Lauren Pytel. Want to get your prediction. Go. Totally agree with Gabby. Um, I think the major thing we're going to see change is an increase in transparency. It's going to continue. You know, eventually maybe not in the next five years completely, but we're going to see a significant number of companies making things like their pay scales, their criteria for ratings if they have a pay for performance philosophy, um, criteria for spot awards, bonuses, et cetera, fully transparent to employees. Um, I think that that's going to be the major thing that's also going to have an immense effect on other things. Um, But making things really transparent, I think, is just the way of the world today, and it's only going to increase. Thank you very much. John Weldon, 30 seconds, yours. Yes, so I have to agree completely with both Gabby and Lauren. So with what Gabby said, sometimes it takes drastic change to produce action. Uh, heavily, that can depend to you on the industry. Um, but like both of them mentioned, ultimately, I believe there will be more transparency over time because with everyone that we spoke to in our interviews, for the most part, and with in my personal experience, transparency is heavily what needs, heavily what needs to be improved, and so that's what we'll be seeing with incorporation or transparent policies with how to get certain compensation. Thank you. Chris for two sentences. They're yours. Fast. Go. I absolutely think there will be uh, some change. I think you're going to see it from new companies. These existing companies ah. are slow to react to these changes. They're going to lose um, talent to new companies, and at that point they'll be forced to act, but it will take. it will be a slow process for sure. 
Thank you very much, Dr. Gabby Berlaku and Lauren Pytel at SAP Success Factors. John P. Weldon, got your initial in there, and Chris Seifert, graduate students at Baylor University. What a privilege speaking with the four of you. I have to say to our students, you two are so articulate. Your research was so ready at your fingertips. Very appreciative of the insights you added to Gabby's and Lauren's. I will invite you back, so look for an email later today. Shout out to Aaron, our engineer at World Talk Radio, the Business Channel. I'll be back 10 a.m. Eastern tomorrow right here on the Business Channel with a new live episode of Think Big, Work Small. We'll be talking about the magic and the pitfalls and the research required for SEO. Is your company being found online? If not, tsk, tsk, got to figure it out. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Dr. Gabby Berlaku, just like Lauren Pytel, just like John P. Weldon, and just like Chris Seifert. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Have a great week.